Oh, thank you for that, Kirk. Good morning. Good to see you guys. I was just thinking about how uh, we're kind of coming to the end of some things as we're about to get into the beginning of some other things. I'm certainly grateful for that. And uh, I was reminded and was just taking a moment in the first service just to remind everybody, thank you all for putting up with the mask and dealing with all that stuff. I hadn't told you that in a while. I really do appreciate it. If you're not wearing a mask, put it on. That kind of thing, it's just a subtle reminder, uh, that kind of thing. If we're in the building, we're wearing them. If you're not wearing one, it's because we assume you have a medical condition that would keep you from doing that. And I say medical because that's important. Tonight, Dave and I are meeting with our medical advisory team, and we're just kind of seeing God do some things that we're sensing, maybe opening up towards the summer. We're, we told you last week we're ready for vacation Bible school. We're ready for, and we're going to do our best. We're, we're going to have a full-on vacation Bible school, we hope, this year. We're trying to make that happen. We're going to plan like we are, and if something changes with that, that'll be fine. Uh, we'll, we'll adjust if we have to. Uh, but, you know, I just appreciate them, and I'm excited to be able to meet with them tonight and talk with them and we really do believe some good things are sitting right ahead of us in the horizon uh, going forward. But this really is kind of the ending of a season, isn't it? I mean, it's, a, it's the ending of something that we're seeing with Renewal Conference ending tonight. So if you're here at 6 o'clock tonight, we'll have Renewal Conference. This is the last of the kind of the ending of, of the, um, the first part of the book of Ephesians, that kind of long sentence that we've been studying. It ends today. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about stewardship, and we're going to do like we do every kind of February, March. We're going to spend time uh, going through what it means to be a good steward of the things that God has given us and why that's important for us. And I, I just appreciate you always being willing to listen to that, and I appreciate you being faithful to follow what God says in obedience in those kind of things. It's also kind of a time for us as we have our last day of prayer and fasting this coming Wednesday. We've been having our kind of three Wednesdays in a row of noonday as we kind of, kind of put a bow on the renewal conference and we're praying this week specifically that God will show us what's next for us, next steps language. We use that a lot here, don't we? What's your next step in following Jesus? And we're looking at our next step and, and what God might have for us. So all those things are good for us. As we kind of end our, our first little bit here in Ephesians, we've looked at some things that have been pretty important for us to see. We've seen, for instance, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world, chosen in God. That's an amazing thing for us to think about, chosen. That God's mind met you before the foundation of the world. He didn't just save you, then he adopted you. That's amazing for us to think about, that God would adopt us and not just say, well, you're saved, but he would say, you're part of the family. And then we talked about how God had unveiled the mystery, that we were part of the mystery of what he was doing in Christ. And then we looked at how we had inheritance. And you remember we talked about last week, there was a little bit going on, the difference between we and you. He's saying we and you, but the commonality is Jesus because we have this inheritance in Christ that that's the thing that binds us all together. All of that comes to us through Christ. Well, today, we're really looking at the idea that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And as you think about that, I want you to think about what that means for us just in reference to where we were last week. If we always start with our differences, we never get to the overwhelming commonality that we have in Christ. And the Holy Spirit, as the seal in our life, we're going to seal, see, right? we're going to seal the seal. We're going to see the seal. is the exact thing that binds us all together and lets us see that the differences that we may have in our lives really fall apart, don't they, when we look at the overwhelming goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 today. 
It'll be on the screen, but I always love for you to have your Bibles. I love for you to read through the scripture with us as we do that. Let me begin reading. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were sealed with him with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Now, this is a thing that we probably have not spent a lot of time thinking about in terms of what it means for us to be saved and, and not it just be for those who were in Christ who were Jews. But if we could think about this for a second, I think in a second I'll be able to bring it all back around and maybe give you a modern take on this that maybe will apply this and make it make sense to you. Remember that when the gospel started out, where did it start? It was in Jerusalem, right? It was moving out into Judea. It was moving into Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the world. But when it started in Jerusalem, it was Jews speaking to who? It was Jews, right? So when Peter gets the gospel on the day of Pentecost and he speaks that out and thousands are saved, it's primarily Jewish people hearing this. And at that time, they're not really thinking about the Gentiles. They're not really moving in that direction. Everything they're doing is like, okay, this is it. This was the Messiah Jesus who came for us, who lived and died, and this is the promised one, and he was a Jew, and it all makes sense. It's coming full circle for us. You remember last week Paul said, we had this inheritance in Christ, but you also. He brings that inclusion language in, and he's talking about us. Anyone who's not a Jew, he's bringing that back to us to say, listen, this is important for us to all be together, and we see that in Peter's life. I mentioned this last week. In Acts chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. It'll be on the screen. But remember that until this point, it has only been Jews speaking to Jews, really. That's what they've been doing. It's not really gone outside of that. And this is where that takes place in Acts chapter 10. What happens is, is that there was a man named Cornelius. You may have heard that. We've talked about him before. I've preached a message on this before. Cornelius was a Roman officer who has a vision He's a God-fearer, and he has a vision, go and seek out Simon Peter. So he sends some servants there, and that's kind of where we pick up that these servants are on the way in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. It says, the next day as they were traveling, that's the servants, and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened up and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to earth. And in it were all the four-footed animals, all of the reptiles of the earth, and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no, Lord, for I've never eaten anything impure and ritually, ritually unclean. Now, what he's saying here is like, I'm a good Jew. I follow the dietary restrictions that you have laid out for me, Lord, and I'm not about to do that. I would not defile myself by doing that. I don't know if Peter thought it was like a test, you know, like, like he's thinking like, is God testing me here? Is something, is what, what is this? Or is Satan t- tempting me here? But he's like, I'm not doing it. No way. Keep reading. He says, no, Lord, I won't do it. In verse 15, a second time the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times and suddenly the object was taken up to heaven. So Peter's sitting there thinking about this when all of a sudden these Gentiles show up and they say to him, hey, our guy Cornelius sent us to you. We want you to come with us and you're gonna tell us about the gospel. We don't, we don't know what this means. Come and teach us about this. So here's what happens. He goes and he preaches the word and they receive the word 
And do you remember what happened? It said that the Holy Spirit fell on them exactly like what had happened in Acts 2. And I think that was really important because Peter needed to see it. It it wasn't just enough that they said, we believe this. He needed to see that it was exactly the same that what God was doing in their lives, he had done in the Jews' lives. So it it was a a great manifestation, if you want to put it that that way. And, And this becomes important for us to see because they had no concept that the gospel would be for the Gentiles until the Holy Spirit fell on them. Now, this makes it really evident to the apostles that God is doing something that's grander than the original scope of what they had thought. I I imagine it like this. It was almost like their minds were blown, right? It was like, wow, this is bigger than we thought. We thought this was for us, but it's actually way bigger than that. This is going to be for the Jews and the Gentiles. And and it kind of starts this thing of like, well, how are we going to make this work? How is this going to be? Because You've got to imagine, we, we've never hung out with these people. We, we don't hang out with them. They are, they are not like us. They've not followed God the way that we have. How are we going to do this? And now it's all coming together. And what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1, if we could go back to that and read it again, in verse 13, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you also believed, were sealed in him with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think what happens is a lot of times in Baptist life, we have overlooked maybe the, the importance of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I mean by that. We, we do great when it comes to understanding that Jesus is Messiah and we preach Jesus, and we should. That's absolutely important. But the Holy Spirit kind of remains sometimes this, this quiet figure that we recognize there is a Holy Spirit but man, you don't want to get too close to that because you might end up like a Pentecostal or something. And you're like we, you know, it's like, it's like if, if, if we mention the Holy Spirit, is that bad? No, listen to this. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, this is, not, this is not to be the overlooked person of the Trinity. And we've talked about this from the very beginning. God's the actor, the Father's the actor, the Son's the agent, and the Holy Spirit applies it all, makes it stick to us, right? The Holy Spirit's what brings us those blessings. We've been talking about that from the beginning of this series. And now we really see him name the Holy Spirit and say the Holy Spirit is the one who sealed you. So this is important for us because while we don't want to run to excess in our dealings with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit constantly magnifies the Son. That's the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict people's hearts and minds and and bring them into relationship with the Son. The Holy Spirit's not over here in a popularity contest with Jesus saying, oh, I'm more important. I want you to think about me more. That's not what it is. But yet we shouldn't overlook it either or overlook him or the role of the Holy Spirit. I don't, want to, I don't want us to do that. And here's what he's saying. You were sealed. Now, when he uses this word sealed, he's using something that, that I don't think we often think about. Now, at my house, I don't wear a lot of jewelry. I, I have a watch on this morning and I wear a wedding ring because my wife makes me sometimes, that kind of thing. But I don't have a bracelet. I don't have a necklace. I've often thought that earrings were in my future. I just... That fear of needles thing, I haven't gotten there. You know what I mean? It's just, so maybe one day I'll come in and really surprise you guys and I'll have, I'll have some diamond studs or something going on and, and you'll, you'll be as shocked as I will. You know what I mean? That, that kind of thing. I just, I just don't do jewelry. It's just, it's just not my thing. But I have some family members who have worn like a signet ring. Have you ever seen that? Somebody that wears a signet ring? Signet rings were very important for hundreds of years, even thousands of years before the time of Christ. Because instead of somebody signing their name to a document, 
that signet ring would have like a family crest on it. Now, the, the ones that I've seen like my family wear sometimes just have like their initials on it or something like that, more, more like that. It's not, it's not maybe um, something that you could leave a full-on impression with, but that's where we get that from. And in days gone by, if there was an official document that you had, you were gonna do a contract, you would take wax, you'd melt it, you'd put it on there, the other party would do the same, and both of you would take your signet rings and bam, right? Stamp it on there, and it did something very important. It bound up something legally, and that's very important for us to see, just like a signature would. And so when we're told that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, this is a great way for us to think about this, is that something has happened transactionally that God has said, you are now mine, and it's as if he takes his signet ring of approval in our lives and goes, bang. Well, you might think about that in a different way. If you are fond of old Western movies or you've ever read any of the old kind of small paperback Western kind of things, a lot of times they used to talk about riding for the brand. What did they mean by that? When you have cows everywhere and you're not sure whose is whose, what did they do? They used to brand those. It was a signet right there placed on them that marked them to be something different. They were, they were owned by somebody. And in the same way, there's something that has happened legally. It's contractually, it's bound. It's awesome that has happened. And so if you think about this, this means what Paul is saying to these Gentiles is, listen, you guys, it's not just like I'm saying this. I'm telling you, you were sealed. Bang, God gave it to you. You're part of the family. Now, here's where this, I think, becomes a little fuzzy for us, and we get a little lost in this sometimes. We will think about this and go, well, I've never worried if I was part of the family. As a Gentile, I mean, I, I grew up in a Baptist church. And I'll be honest with you, for me, that's, it's mostly the same way. I have never thought about the promises of God being separated out for different people groups because we're way past that, right? But Paul's writing to an early church that's just getting started, and he's saying to them, you need to understand the importance of this, that God sealed you and you have some assurance that you have a share in God's promises just like we do. So last week, he's talking about in him, we have received inheritance. Now he says, in him, you also, you also, you're brought into this. And that's very important for them to see. I think that it has maybe a modern day equivalent for us if we think back to a story that we've studied a long time ago when I preached through the book of Joshua, I don't think our question of understanding maybe would be so much that God would love the Jews and not the Gentiles, that we would be separated out from that. I think we get that because when people shared the gospel with you, weren't they telling you God's promises for you are great. God has loved you with an everlasting love. You've never probably wondered about that. But I think a lot of us have wondered could God really love us? Like, like, I mean, can I be forgiven, truthfully? Or can, can I be saved, but I'm kind of, I just need to hang back. I mean, I just, I have this guilt complex that, that lives in my life, and that, that other stuff is for, for like super Christians. They're up here in the front, and, and, and they get to do those things. But for me, I really, I, I'm not like that. I mean, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I was struggling with, if you, if you knew those things, pastor, I mean, I just, I don't know that I'm really, I'm really part of this. And I want you to think back to something. Do you remember that when we studied the book of Joshua, 
We studied one of the great early conquest battles that they had, and it was surrounding the Battle of Jericho. Now, you may remember the Jericho story because we often sing the spiritual song about it, or maybe you've heard it uh, taught in Sunday school. And, And we talk about they marched around the walls of Jericho, and they shouted, and what happened? The walls came tumbling down. And archaeologists have shown us that there's proof to this. There's two walls in Jericho. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. You ought to look at that sometime. You kind of see some of those things. Pretty cool to be able to see that. But there's a story in Jericho and what happened that I think illustrates perfectly for us what we need to see from this when it really says that God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, that we are his, that we're part of the family. There's a lady in Jericho named Rahab. Do you remember who Rahab was? Rahab was engaged in a profession that was not one that you brought up at the dinner table. Wasn't some, well, what do you do for a living? Yeah. You know, not something you really talk about, right? And do you remember that as the spies came into the city, they took shelter in the house, the scripture says, of Rahab the prostitute. And she told them, we've heard about what your God is doing. I believe this. Save my family and I because of what I have done for you because I believe this. And do you remember what the scripture says? That they spared Rahab and her family. And I mean, that's a great story, right? It's like, oh yeah, Rahab, cool. That's good. Neat story. And she's really not mentioned that much again. It's kind of just, it goes quiet until you get to the New Testament. And you start reading the lineage of Jesus in Matthew and you see her name right there, Rahab. Do you know what's important about that for me? When I read that, what I see is that Rahab had the same inheritance that Joshua had. When she believed in Jesus, all that she was was in the past And all that she was going to be in Christ was in the future, just like it was for everyone else. And she was not somebody who was kept far away. God placed that signet ring, said, yep, bam, you're mine, contractually bound. You're part of the family. This has been sealed. It's not for other people, and you you have to kind of just hang back. That, that, That wasn't it at all. This is for all of us right here who have believed what Jesus said in the gospel. If we believe that, it says that that's, Ours. Now, I think a lot of us doubt and struggle about that because we just wonder about these promises and we think, well, I'm not lovable, I'm unforgivable, I've done this, and we have the same inheritance. And I want you to see that this morning because there's no point in you living as a Christian, always walking around with your head hung low, like, well, you know, God could never use me. I mean, I, I do believe in God, but uh, got this stuff hanging around. I got this baggage I carry with me all the time. Everybody carries baggage with them. We all have stuff. There's all stuff like that. But if we're in Christ, we have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And there's a second thing that that sealing does. It's not just that it marks us out and says that contractually, it's, we're, we're his and we're part of the family. It says something else. When you seal something, you could also think about it in a different way. If something has been sealed, I often think about it in terms of protection, like at your driveway, right? You pressure wash that driveway off, and then you, get, you see people get that sealant, and they take those rollers, and they're doing this in the driveway. What are they doing? They're sealing that concrete from something that comes in on top of it. Or maybe you've taken your kids to the dentist lately, and they said, hey, we would like to put sealants 
on your children's teeth. Why do they do that? It's to protect the teeth from your kids not brushing right, right? You know, little junior here can't get back and get all the back of the teeth and all the things that he needs to do. And so they seal those teeth to protect it from the outside in. Well, Paul talks in other places about how we've been sealed, and that means that we've been sealed for blessing and not for wrath. On the day of judgment, that we have been sealed against God's wrath being poured out on us. That's very important for us to understand, that we have always had this in mind that God wasn't just doing something that he was saying from now, you're mine. He's saying for us that we have protection from what is to come when his wrath is poured out. Believers will be protected. And I say that to us this morning, that that gives us assurance for the days ahead. That gives us assurance for how we're going to live. But it also gives us mandate, doesn't it? Because it gives us a mandate to share the gospel with people and let them know that they don't have to face judgment. They don't have to face wrath. They can be sealed off against that. The door can be sealed, so to speak. Their, their lives can be sealed and shut out from those things that would come against it. Now, he says something to us about, well, when did this happen? Look back, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you also believed, were sealed. Now, in the, in the translation that I'm using, there's a couple of dashes right here that I think are very important. He says, in him you also, dash. And then he gives this, this, uh, this explanation of when it happened. He says, it happened when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you also believed, end of dash, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. So the sentence is, right, in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And here's when it happened. Here's how it happened. So if we were gonna talk about receiving Christ this morning, and we were gonna talk about the gospel, there would be some things that would be important for you to know. Step one for you to know that there is the gospel at all, or that you could be sealed, or that you could be saved, the first step in that is very important. You have to know that there's a massive problem in the world today, and that you're part of the problem, you're caught up in the problem, and that problem is sin. The Bible says that we have offended a holy God. We've offended him with our thoughts, we've offended him with our actions, we've offended him with our mouths and our words. All of those things are an offense to God, and the Bible calls those things sin. Now, this is very important for us to understand. If you don't understand that, you can't get to the second step. The second step of the gospel is that every one of us has sinned. You've sinned, I've sinned, we've all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. The third step in understanding the gospel is that the wages of sin is death. That doesn't just mean physical death. You are going to die because of your sin. We all are. That is a consequence of the fall. We are all going to perish. However, we don't have to perish spiritually. That's the second part of death. So I have to know that there's a sin issue. I have to know that I'm a sinner. I have to know that the, the consequence of my sin, the wages of sin, is death. But the gift of God is everlasting life. And that gets us to step four here, where it says that God loved us even while we were still sinners and sent Christ to die in our place. Step five is that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when that happens, you're sealed. In that moment, when that happens, you have been sealed. It's no longer waiting for God to do something you have been sealed. God has placed his seal on your life with that signet ring, so to speak. 
and he's done it through the blood of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit has sealed you. Now, it's not just that we're sealed like that, but we're also told that the Holy Spirit is a down payment. Look at verse 14. He's the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This word is important for us to understand because it has a slight difference from what we might think of as a deposit. If you make a deposit on something, you might be able to take that back, right? Like, I'm gonna give you a deposit, hold this. Had hey, I decided I didn't want it, I would take it back. But if you're making a down payment on something, it's the first installment of the payments that are to come, right? So, uh, you have to get a house and, and you go see the banker and they say, you know, whatever it is, it's going to be 10% or 20% paid down. You don't pay that down and then go, whoa, I have made a big mistake. Can I get that back? No, you cannot. It is yours, pal. That house is yours. You're making an installment right there. That's the first payment of more to come. Do you remember that at Christmas we talked about that salvation in your life meant something pretty incredible? It was definitely for here, but most of salvation, what you're going to get, is still yet in the future. It's still to come. We're just getting a glimpse of it here. And he says, this is the down payment that you've been given of the Holy Spirit. And it's something that's really important for us to understand. Because it's the first installment of the purchase, we now understand that we've been bought with the blood of Christ. That's redemption. But did you notice here, he says there's still redemption yet to come. He says it's down payment until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. What that means is there's a day where it's going to come fully for you. And that happens when either you pass through the stormy waters of death or Jesus comes back and calls us home. Now, either way, you get to the same place. Either way, the result is the same, whether it's through the stormy waters of death or it's whether Gabriel blows the trumpet and Christ comes back and receives us and calls us home. But here's what's happening right now. Right now, you have the down payment, but it's not fully yet realized in your life. And here's what I mean by that. In the old days, we used to talk and hear pastors talk about being backslidden. You remember what that was? Some of you are backslidden now. Look at you. You don't even, you won't even admit it. Do you remember what it meant to be backslidden? That's an old term, right? We're climbing the mountain, and buddy, I was on my way, and I kind of backslid a little bit, back down the mountain. What did that mean? I fell into some sin. I made some bad choices. It's not that I lost my salvation, can't do that. It's that, pastor, I, I, I just was overcome with this. That can still happen in our lives right now, can it? Have you ever made a bad choice? Say Amen. Don't want you to be struck dead for being a liar in church. Right? Come on now. It can happen to us. But one day, that's not going to be a problem anymore. When the body is fully redeemed, sin won't be something we struggle with anymore. You're going to struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. Even though we've been saved, certainly we've been sealed. Nothing can take that away. And the down payment has been made in our lives, the first installment but we're looking to that point where it's going to be realized and that does something else for us that I think we often don't think about. Many times we struggle wondering, have we truly been saved? Have you ever struggled? I've struggled with that. I mean, maybe you haven't. I understand that. But I've struggled with that. I mean, I've wondered, like, well, Lord, how can I know? I mean, like, how, 
How can you know? And there's some great scriptures in the, in the Bible that teach us about how we can know. In fact, one of the, the scriptures that we would go to most often would be in 1 John. And we preached a sermon series on that. If you find it on our website, if you, if you search for the sermon series in 1 John, and if you're struggling with that, I encourage you to do that. But this also speaks to the assurance of that because it speaks to something that has happened already on God's part that he's done. And when God does this, he doesn't mess it up. And here's what I mean by this. You know, Satan is a thief, right? He comes and he wants to steal. And we know that about him. But let me tell you something that can't happen. He can't steal anything out of God's hand. He can't do it. Impossible. Do you remember that Jesus in the Gospel of John said, I've got every one of them that you've put in my hand. Not one of them. Not one of them will be lost. Not one of them. I've got them. Very important. And we talk about this often, don't we? I think about it because we're talking about vacation Bible school and things like that. And, you know, if you walk out here in a parking lot and you're delivering a kid at vacation Bible school to mom and dad, they're in the pickup line. A lot of times there's a lot going on. And especially our little kids, our preschool kind of kindergarten, they'll reach up and what do they do? They grab your hand, right? Or if you walk out in the parking lot as a parent, you're holding your child's hand or a grandparent, you're holding that child's hand. And we often think about this like, you know, like I'm walking with Jesus and I'm holding his hand, right? But that's not, that, I mean, that is really not exactly accurate, is it? I mean, we, yes, I'm holding his hand, but he's holding me. And what he has in his hand, nobody can pry his hand off of. Nobody can get it. It's his. He paid for it already with, the, uh, with his blood. We are the possession. We, built, we will be redeemed fully, when that happens, the fullness of redemption happens. But right now, God's doing something. He's walking around, and he's got us. He says, you're mine, and I got you by the hand, and here we go. And I think about that in a couple of ways. If you're walking in a parking lot, that's protection, isn't it? It's like, watch out for the car. You know, we won't be careful right there. But it's also like this. Have you ever noticed sometimes you'll be in a, a store, and you'll see a mom or a dad walking through Target trying to get somewhere, and that kid's walking behind them like this? Right? And they say, come on. We got to go. And what do they do? Grab hands and we start walking. And that little kid, you see him, they're running now, right? I mean, it's, it's how it is, right? Because mom and dad taking big steps. And they're trying to get to the car, get them off the toy aisle or something. You know, I don't know. Why are they doing that? Get with me. Let's go. Walk with me. God is holding you. Yes, we're holding him. But he's holding tighter. 100%. He's holding tighter. And that becomes important for us to understand because if salvation is dependent on me and what I can do, then man, I could lose it tomorrow. It could be gone in an instant. If it was dependent on me being saved and then having a perfect record, oh man, there's no hope. Zero. I can't do it. But if salvation is dependent on the blood of Jesus shed for me on the cross, well, that's already happened. And they put him in a grave. And do you remember what they tried to do? They rolled a big stone in front of it. And they posted guards there. And the best guards that they could find. I don't think these were, you know, a couple dollar an hour people. You know, hey, you mind just hanging out here and if somebody comes for the body, man, I'm not staying around here. No way. The best that they could find couldn't keep that Savior in the ground. Couldn't do it. So when we look at this, 
we intellectually need to sometimes say, my head needs to overrule my heart. And I need to know this, that I've been saved. I was bought with the blood of Jesus. And I have the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, you know, that can sometimes be an experiential thing for us, can't it? We were just singing a minute ago, and it's not wrong to sing that. Let us experience more of your presence. We're going to talk about that as we go down through this book in the coming weeks and months, as we talk about quenching the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And that's all important. We, we need to pray to the Holy Spirit, ask Him to, to fill our lives, to give us guidance and direction, to understand that he is the counselor, the comforter, all of those things become very, very important for us. Absolutely they do. But this has already happened. This is done. You were sealed, bought with the blood of Christ, and the transaction has taken place, and what God holds in his hands, no one, no power, no force can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So what do we do with that today? Can I say this morning that if you're not saved, it's really, really my hope and prayer that today you would give your life to Christ and be saved. See, God made a way for you already, and it's in Christ. There's no other way. It's in Christ. And if you're not saved today, I hope that you will today. In just a moment, I'm going to kind of walk you through a way that you can pray and ask the Lord to save you. And the Bible says that by hearing the gospel, the word of God, and receiving it, that you'll be saved. That's a promise. For a believer this morning, I hope what this text does for us is a couple of things. One is that I hope it allows us to live in joy now, but with hope for the future and assurance. We live with joy now because we're part of God's family. God has done something in our lives that has changed our lives. We're, we don't have to worry, are we part of God's family? We don't have to, to wonder if it's really for us. Am I unlovable? Am I unforgivable? There's no one too far. There's no one who's done too much that God can't love, that, God doesn't, that, that, that Christ's blood doesn't cover. I mean, all of that is for us, and we've been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That ought to give us joy and comfort and peace right now, but it ought to give us great hope and assurance for the days to come because if we have the Holy Spirit now, this little bit of inheritance, right, the down payment of the inheritance, what that means is it's going to be the full expression of that. It's going to be more than we can even fathom. It's going to be more than we can even imagine. You know, we used to sing it like this, that we had strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings, all mine, and 10,000 beside. That's what the Holy Spirit's seal in your life does. It gives you confidence for a future. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. It doesn't matter what happens next week. It doesn't matter what happens next year. Nothing can stop eternity. Nothing can stop what God's doing in our lives. And whether we pass through the stormy waters of Jordan, as the old people used to say, or we have to go when Jesus calls us home uh, and Gabriel blows that trumpet and, and we're called home and raptured up, so be it. It doesn't matter. Eternity is certain. And it's ours. In Christ, 
applied to us through the Holy Spirit. We have a heritage. And it's in salvation. And salvation is here and now. But the best is yet to come. I'm going to ask you to pray. As Daniel comes in just a second to play, can I ask you just to bow your heads and, and enter into a spirit of prayer? And if you're not saved this morning, I want to ask you why not? Why not today? Why not give your life to Christ today? The Bible says that he has loved you with an everlasting love, died in your place, that you have a sin problem. Won't you just start right now by just saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. God, I need you to change me and save me today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that his work is finished in my life, paid for. And the Holy Spirit has sealed me. I believe he rose from the dead. Jesus, I want you to save me today. At the end of our service, I'll be at the front, sitting here as I normally am. I'd love to talk with you about salvation today if you're uncertain about that. For the believers in the room, any of you guys walking around with that guilt complex that just says, I'm not good enough. Today, I want you to see that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It had nothing to do with you. It was the work of Christ on the cross. Lay that aside. Don't pick that up anymore. Just receive the joy that is yours in Christ. Live in that joy this week. Let's make a difference in the places we work, the places we shop, the places we go. Because the joy that we have and the assurance that we have. Father, we thank you for your work of redemption. We anxiously await your return. And we pray for for you, Lord, to call us home, to let our faith become sight. For the one who doesn't know you today, Lord, I pray that they would be saved. I pray that your Holy Spirit would seal them today, convict them of, of their sin, and let them see that Christ is the only way. I pray, Father, that you would remind us of your faithfulness through all generations today. Thank you for protecting us from all harm. Father, we pray that as we live with joy and hope and assurance, it would be contagious. Contagious to a world that's looking for hope and assurance in anything and everything but you. Jesus, you're the only way. We praise your name today. To the glory of the Father, the work of the Son, through the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.